Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash HGH. This activity is supported by Novartis. Welcome to this peer voice activity on non-small cell lung cancer. This activity comprises a series of five streaming episodes with Dr. David Planchard. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, I am Dr. David Planchard. I'm a thoracic oncologist at Gustave Roussy, Belgium, France. Welcome to this series of episodes on targeted treatment of advanced non-small cell lung cancer. During five micro-episodes, we'll have you challenge of treatment patient with advanced non-small cell lung cancer, focusing on four patient-specific cases with and without targetable driver mutation. In the first part, we'll overview on the current state of targeted treatment in non-small cell lung cancer, included evidence-based recommendation for biomarker testing and overall treatment paradigm for molecular biomarker-positive advanced non-small cell lung cancer. As you know, in 2022, we need to try to identify specific molecular alteration. And in nearly 50 to 60% of patients, particularly adenocarcinoma, we might identify potentially a oncogenic driver alteration. The most frequent are the CARAS, between 25 to 30%. And nowadays, we have nice specific CARAS, particularly G2FC inhibitor, a GFR mutation, highly predominant in the Asian population, but nearly 15% in the non-Asian population. And after, we have some major oncogenic driver alterations like the ALT translocation, the ROS1 translocation, the BRAF mutation, the RET rearrangement, the MET exon 40 skipping mutation, N-track rearrangement, L2 mutation, energy one alteration, and more molecular alterations are coming. It can be really rare molecular alteration, but generally a major benefit if we target with the right treatment. So it's really mandatory to look and to search for these different molecular alterations. So currently, different population, population for which you will identify your molecular alteration and the priority will be to target this patient with the best PFS, best overall survival. Otherwise, we'll have to look at the PDL1 expression statue, the histological type, and to expose patients with immunotherapy. It can be monoimmunotherapy, combination with chemotherapy, combination of double immunotherapy or double immunotherapy plus chemotherapy, but focusing immunotherapy for patients with no specific molecular alteration. So currently, the guidance recommendation, NCCN, the ESMO guidelines, is to try to have a broad range of biomarkers by NGS testing at the same time, the earlier as possible, looking at the EGFR, PERAP, CARAS, METEXON-14, skipping mutation, ALK, ROS1, NTRAC, and RET gene fusion to take the best decision for the patient and do not miss any molecular alteration in first line or second line of treatment. So that means tissue biopsy is still the issue. We need the tissue to confirm the histological type. TTF1, P40, look, adenocarcinoma versus squamous versus large cell versus small cell lung cancer. By immunostochemistry, we have to determine the PDL1 expression status, uh, and we can look at the HALC, and it can enrich patients who are HALC translocated. We can look at the translocation by fish, uh, but it's costly, it takes time, uh, and you cannot perform the fish testing in all the center, and more and more, we do all the molecular testing by NGS, 
RNA sequencing. RNA sequencing to have a nice and large portrait of patient to have the best decision. And also, we can help nowadays by circulating tumor DNA, particularly in patients for which we don't have enough tumor tissue or low quality of the tissue. Or if patient progress post specific targeted treatment to understand the mechanism of escape. So different possibilities, single gen testing, it's a small amount of tissue that we need, short turnaround time, low cost, but you will miss a lot of potential molecular alteration because you will look one by one the molecular alteration. So sequential treatment, you might need new tissue biopsy, takes longer time, and finally, a higher cost for the patient. Tissue-based NGS, this is the recommendation because you will test on one time a large molecular panel, either by DNA or RNA sequencing, can be better by RNA, particularly better sensitivity to detect the translocation, particularly the met exon 14 skipping mutation, the N-track translocation, the NLG1 translocation, for example, that you might need by NGS sequencing. So important to do this, it might require much more tissue. So it is important when you perform tissue biopsy to perform multiple biopsy to have enough tissue for the molecular testing, and sometimes you can miss some specific molecular alteration due to the etiology key because you will perform the molecular testing only where the biopsy has been done. Security tumor DNA, minimal invasive. You can use particularly a disease progression multiple sequential biopsy, which is quite useful to understand the mechanism of escape. Limitation of the sensitivity, lower sensitivity than the tissue. So you might miss 30% of false negative, negative by liquid, you need to confirm by tissue to not miss a false negative. This is something quite important with circulating tumor DNA. We have nowadays nice cohort that completely confirms that patient with a specific molecular alteration that received the good treatment, they have the best overall survival in comparison to patient no molecular alteration or molecular alteration if they do not receive the treatment according to the molecular alteration. So this is where we are nowadays. We have to perform tissue biopsy, liquid biopsy if we can. We have to perform a large molecular testing analysis upfront to have the nice portrait of the molecular disease and to take the best decision for the patient and upfront with targeted treatment if we can. Otherwise, immunotherapy, depending on the PDL1 expression status, we have to discuss the file in multidisciplinary tumor bot, but also in molecular tumor bot to take the best decision for the patient upfront. Again, in this second episode, we'll focus on patients with a CARAS gene mutation. The CARAS is an important oncogenic driver. It's highly frequent in many tumor types, included in adenocarcinoma, non-small cell lung cancer. Around 30% of patients may have a CARAS mutation with a higher frequency, particularly in current or former smoker, in comparison to never smoker, for which it's mainly a Jeffer alk or ROS1, for example, molecular alteration. Among the CARAS, different uh, type of molecular alterations have been reported. The most frequent is the CARAS G12C, around 40% of the CARAS mutation in adenocarcinoma. So that means around 13% of adenocarcinoma non-small cell lung cancer may have CARAS G12C mutation. CARAS is an important uh, pathway uh, through the MAP-Kinas activation, uh, and recently, uh, was presented uh, phase one, phase two clinical trial, highly selective inhibitor with adagrazib or sotorazib, which block CARAS in its inactive conformation, particularly GTP bond CARAS, 
which block the activation of the MAC kinase pass one, particularly the RAF, the MEC, and the ERK activation. Really impressive result with adagrazib or sotorazib, response rate between 37 to 43%, median PFS around seven months, and median duration of treatment between eight to 11 months. We have never seen this magnitude of benefit with an inhibitor of CARAS and D12C. So clearly, they are becoming a new standard of care in non-small cell lung cancer. We have also plenty of other CARAS inhibitors ongoing in clinical trial with promising data, but we need to have much more data like the GDC 6036, but wait to have much more mature data. Clinical case, patient 65 years old male, previous smoker, initially was testing for ALK negative by immunostochemistry, PCR negative for the EGFR, and PDL1 was more than 10%. So the patient started a platinum-based chemotherapy. Unfortunately, after eight to nine months of treatment, the patient had disease progression. At that time, it's really mandatory to look at the other molecular alteration, and particularly for the CARAS in this smoker patient. And so it was done, an NGS multiplex approach, which confirmed CARAS and G12C. So second line, post-platinum-based chemotherapy. This is clearly the indication of a specific CARAS G12C inhibitor, like the sotorazib, and this is what had been done. And the patient had a nice partial response. We should be aware also of the potential toxicity of this uh, effect of this CARAS inhibitor, sotorazib or adagrazib, mainly some cutaneous, uh, but also some digestive and liver toxicity. The most predominant with a diarrhea between 30 to 60%. We should be aware. We should inform and educate the patient and anticipate in case of toxicity. And in some cases, we might need uh, to stop the treatment and decrease the dose level, diminution of the dose level, no longer 20% for sotorazib, nearly 50% with adagrazib. And generally, it's not an issue to continue the treatment with an adaptation of the dose level. If patient progress, unfortunately, we need to understand the mechanism of escape. And we need to re-biopsy the patient, liquid biopsy, a tissue biopsy to understand the mechanism of escape. This is already what has been done. And you can identify some new mutation of result on the CARAS pathway. You can identify some activation bypass pathway on receptor tyrosine kinase or some specific translocation for which we can adapt the treatment and particularly discuss in this case in molecular tumor box what to do beyond adagrazib and sotorazib. The next step is also some combination, interesting combinations have been already presented. Low number of patients, particularly association of sotorazib and HSP2 inhibitor. The next association we're looking for is combination with sotorazib and immunotherapy, like association of sotorazib plus pamorizumab or atezolizumab. We have recently an interesting data from phase one clinical trial concomitant association with nice partial response. As you can see on this waterfall blow, the overall response rate was nearly 30 to 50%. We have to be cautious because it was reported a high level, high frequency of liver toxicity. So we have to better define which combination of sotorazib and CARAS inhibitor. So currently, in the guidelines, uh, these different treatments generally it's post-platinum-based chemotherapy, but in second line of treatment, this population uh, should be a challenge uh, with sotorazib or adagrazib. 
depending on the label of the drug and the access of the drug. We are waiting the phase three trial, which compare, for example, Sotorazib or Adagravzib to docetaxel to concretely confirm the place of this specific Caras inhibitor. Next step will be to try to push up this uh, inhibitor in first line of treatment, probably combination. So in 2022, Caras INC and adenocarcinoma, we had a nice uh, specific inhibitor like Sotorazib and Adagrazib and other outcoming. In the third episode, we will focus on patients with EGFR exam 20 insertion. We know the high prevalence of EGFR mutation, particularly exam 20 and exam 21, but between 1% to 2%, we might observe an exam 20 insertion, which is becoming more and more important because we have nowadays specific inhibitor and we need to screen this patient. It was reported that patients with exam 20 insertion at the worst pronostic in comparison to patients with classical EGFR mutation, particularly because they do not get access to specific EGFR TKI. With the TKI, we have currently first, second, and third generation EGFR classical TKI. Generally, they have a low response rate and short PFS and duration of response if we expose patients with exon 20 injection. So we need to have specific inhibitor. Currently, we have a more specific TKI, like Mogocertinib, that have shown nice data, response rate 28%, PFS 7.3 months. And also, a specific, B-specific antibody, again, EGFR and MED, Anivantamab, with shown 40% response rate, median PFS 8.3 months, and median duration of treatment around 11 months. So clearly, we have a nice specific exon 20 insertion treatment nowadays. For the anivantamab, it was shown that this population, if they receive this treatment in comparison to classical treatment, they have a better overall survival and better progression-free survival because currently we don't have any prospective randomized trial. Patient, 46 years old, non-smoker patient, molecular testing by NGS, which identified an EGFR exon 20 insertion. Initially, the patient received a classical treatment with platinum-based chemotherapy. The patient progressed. And so in second line of treatment, uh, we should target uh, this EGFR exon 20 insertion. This is currently the recommendation. So we can identify this molecular alteration with specific PCR, but not the PCR will focus on exon 20 insertion. Generally, they might focus on exon 19 or 21, so we should be aware which technique you use. So that's why I encourage to test by a large molecular panel by NGS, included EGFR, exon 20 insertion, for which currently we have potentially the access, for example, to anivotamab post-platinum-based chemotherapy and next day, or the treatment might go in first line of treatment. We have the NCCN guidelines, we have the SMO guidelines, for which uh, the recommendation is to get access to alivantamab or mobocertinib, for example, post-platinum-based chemotherapy in these patients. Specific toxicity, we should be aware, particularly digestive toxicity or skin toxicity for both drugs, mainly grad 1 or grad 2 toxicity, but we need to anticipate, we need to educate the patient in case of toxicity to try to avoid, to stop the treatment, but in some time, we need a reduction of the dose of the drug for example, with mobocertinib reduction, nearly 25%. And we should be aware about also with anivantamab, with infusion-related reaction, generally during the first injection, 
that we split in two days. And generally, it's not an issue after to continue treatment. So there is a specific remedication with amivantamab. So if we compare currently what we have, the most nice data have been already reported with mobocetinib, amivantamab, but we have also a clinical trials on promising other TKI against a GFR exon 20 assertion, like the CNN-081 and sulbozertinib with promising response rates. We need to have much more data on the PFS and duration of response, but it's becoming something challenging, which is quite nice for the patient. Next day, but to move in first line of treatment, uh, we have one phase three trial which compare mobocertinib to platinum-based chemotherapy in first line and another phase three trial, but combination of platinum-based chemotherapy plus anivantamab versus uh, platinum-based chemotherapy in first line of treatment. So you can see we might change the way to treat patients up front with an adjuster exon 20 ingestion. So it's a rare alteration, but it's a uh, one to three percent of patients. Uh, we have nowadays I-specific drugs like B-specific antibody, specific TKI to target this population. So we need to identify this patient and to treat with a specific treatment and after to understand the mechanism of escape, to read biopsy, tissue biopsy, liquid biopsy, to better define the sequence of treatment in this patient with exon 20 ingestion adjuster. In the fourth episode, we focus on patients with met exon 14 skipping mutation. MET is an important oncogenic driver. It can be amplification, it can be some specific point mutation, uh, fusion, uh, but the most important is MET exon 40 skipping mutation as a primary oncogenic driver alteration. Uh, around 3% of patients with this molecular alteration. For the MET amplification, it's mainly a quite resistant mechanism, particularly post-TKI-GFR-HALC, for which it will be important in this case to target MET amplification. We have nowadays two highly specific uh, MET inhibitors, either tepotinib or capmatinib, phase one, phase two clinical trial, similar result in both trials in terms of response rate between 50 to 60%, uh, either in first line or second line of treatment, uh, median PFS uh, around 10 months for both components. So clearly, uh, they are becoming standard of care in this population uh, with a MET exon 14 skipping mutation. We have recently so update data, for example, with tepotinib, first line and second line of treatment, uh, median duration of treatment uh, around 12 months, uh, and median PFS, first line nearly 16 months, uh, and second line around 12 months, which completely confirm what we might expect with a specific molecular alteration and the, the, the good drug uh, to block uh, and to best, be, best benefit for the patient. With capmatinib, uh, some retrospective analyses have shown also the same magnitude of benefit, first line or second line of treatment. We have also the savolitinib. We have a low number of patients, but same magnitude of benefit, uh, nearly 50% of response rate, and the magnitude of PFS is also the same range as tepotinib and capmatinib. So you can see finally three interesting and major drugs to block the MET activation. New compound, specific antibody, Again, EGFR and MET, the B-specific antibody, amivantamab, nice preliminary data in terms of response rate and in terms of progression-free survival, so potentially a new option to follow. Patient, 70 years old, non-smoker, it was performed a small uh, panel of molecular alteration initially. Look at the EGFR, the ALF, the ROS, and the CAHAS, which was negative, PDL1 more than 10%, so patient received 
first line of treatment, uh, a platinum-based chemotherapy. We have to enrich uh, the molecular panel testing. This is what has been done by NGS uh, multiplex approach, uh, particularly by RNA sequencing, which identified a met exon skipping 40 mutation. So that means in second line of treatment, this patient should get access uh, to a specific met inhibitor like tepotinib or capmatinib. This is currently what we have in the guidelines to target this patient with met exon 40 skipping mutation either with tepotinib, capmatinib, if we can get access to the first line. Otherwise, keep the treatment in second-line treatment. But for sure, the earlier the patient gets access, better it is because we are sure to expose patients with the best treatment. We need after to understand the mechanism of escape. And this patient had a relapse. And in this case, it was feasible to perform a new tissue biopsy, but also liquid biopsy. And it was observed a mutation of a quite resistant on meta, which have been already published, uh, we know if we rebiopsy the patient, nearly 35% will have an on-target specific mutation on the meta. Nearly 50% of patients may have a bypass activation. It can be a Nogefer activation, a Caras amplification, a L2 amplification, some specific Caras mutation. In this case, we need to discuss what to do beyond. Some patients may get access to the type 2 metrosinkinase inhibitor. For some patients, we can discuss antibody against AGF, which is uh, the specific binding on the receptor of MET. And also, we can think about B-specific antibody, which target MET, and also the ADC with specific ADC, which target MET. We should be aware about the class effect toxicity, particularly some pleural effusion, some pulmonary interstitial toxicity, hypoalbulinia, some gastroacetinal toxicity, increase of the liver uh, enzyme, increase in the creatinine and some peripheral edemia. It can be between 30 to 40%. Generally, it's mainly grade 1 or grade 2 event, but we should be aware because in some cases, we need to reduce the dose level of the MET-TKI inhibitor. So for sure, met skipping 14 mutations is a specific and an important oncogenic driver alteration uh, for which we have a specific TKI currently, and we hope to have a new generation specific combination uh, to improve again the PFS and overall survival in this population and to re-biopsy circulating tumor DNA, tissue biopsy at resistance to better understand and adapt the treatment post-progression, post-epotinib and post-capmatinib. In the final case, uh, we will focus on patients uh, without a targetable uh, driver mutation. Uh, we know in this population, if we don't identify any molecular alteration, uh, we'll have to look particularly to the histological type, squamous versus non-squamous, uh, and also according to the PDL1 expression status. And for which uh, now we can have different options, uh, options of immunotherapy in monotherapy, particularly in patients with more than 50%. Combination of checkpoint inhibitor plus chemotherapy, combination of uh, double immunotherapy plus chemotherapy or double immunotherapy uh, alone uh, that might depend on the disease of the metastatic site, uh, PDL1 expression status, uh, but currently we don't have much biomarker except uh, PDL1 expression. Since 2016, uh, we had a lot of uh, approval of new checkpoint inhibitor. Second line, and now this first line of treatment, particularly like pamrolizumab, atezolizumab, or nivolumab plus ipilimumab, semimab. Also, it's a plenty of night checkpoint inhibitor, PDL1 or a PD1 inhibitor. 
For the patient who are more than 50%, we still have the question, should we go to PDL1 in monotherapy or still combination of PDL1 plus platinum-based chemotherapy? FDA port analyses have shown that in this population, it was not observed an improvement of the combination of chemotherapy plus immunotherapy in comparison to immunotherapy alone, which have also shown in the real-world data for which they also compare both combo versus monoimmunotherapy in PL1 more than 50%, and finally, same amplitude of benefit in terms of overall survival. The only thing which is really important, subpopulation in the never smoker, a better overall survival of the combination chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. The never smoker generally have a high incidence of molecular alteration, and generally, this population with a molecular alteration have a low benefit of immunotherapy. So probably, if you have a never smoker, no specific molecular alteration, it's better, whatever the PL1 expression status, to start treatment with platinum-based chemotherapy plus immunotherapy. A case, 60 years old woman, never smoker, she had a specific molecular uh, testing by NGS approach, and no molecular alteration was observed. PL1 was less than 50%, so in this case, combination of chemo plus immunotherapy, we should be aware with immunotherapy, with a different toxicity, generally it's a low incidence, but multiple different toxicity with immunotherapy, particularly look at the pneumonitis, the digestive toxicity, the colitis, and the endocrinopathy toxicity with immunotherapy. And generally, you might need to have a specific network of specialists to have the better adaptation in case of toxicity, but generally grad one or grad two of toxicity with immunotherapy. This patient received chemo plus immunotherapy. Unfortunately, after a few months of treatment, she had a disease progression. And the question nowadays is what to do post-progression, post-immunotherapy. It might depend. If the patient receives only immunotherapy, we have the option of platinum-based chemotherapy in second line. But if patient receives platinum-based chemotherapy plus immunotherapy, so in this case, we have few options. It can be docetaxel or docetaxel plus VGFR2 inhibitor or other single agent. But unfortunately, these populations are the worst transit because we don't have a new option post-immunotherapy. We have some interesting data. And let's wait uh, some nice phase two and phase three clinical trial, particularly with new approach uh, post-resistant immunotherapy, including some TAM and VGFR pathway inhibitor. And it seems to be something quite nice. Uh, post-immunotherapy, but we need to have confirmation in ongoing phase 3 trials. We have also some specific phase 2 multidrug biomarker, like the Hudson trial, with different combinations of immunotherapy with specific therapy, and particularly interesting association of immunotherapy plus ATR inhibitor. It has been shown an interesting improvement in terms of PFS and overall survival in comparison to other regimens in patients that have been resistant to immunotherapy. So you see, we slowly progress post-immunotherapy, but clearly the standard of care in first line, no specific molecular alteration, is immunotherapy. In the never smoker, we should do the maximum to identify a molecular alteration. If the patient uh, do not have a specific molecular alteration, so in this case, we might start with chemo and IO, whatever the PDL1 expression. If the patient is current former smoker, we can discuss only immunotherapy and monotherapy even if they particularly patient of PL1 more than 50%, all this should be discussed in multidisciplinary tunnel board.
This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.